please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. This morning I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 for us. And uh, today we we begin a new series in uh, the Gospel of John. Probably used to hearing it called that, the Gospel of John, John's Gospel, or just John. But if you Uh, Look in your Bibles, you're likely to see uh, at the start there, the gospel according to John. That was the title that was given to it when the early manuscripts were being put together. And it tells us something important. reminds us that we do not have four gospels. We have one gospel with four different accounts. Uh, Gospel according to Matthew, an eyewitness. Uh, Mark, who got his material from the Apostle Peter. Luke, who investigated things carefully, speaking to eyewitnesses, and then wrote those things down. And here, John, another eyewitness. Uh, I am I'm really excited to get into the Gospel uh, of John together. I am, I am excited because this Gospel, in so many wonderful ways, sets forth the splendid glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Clement of Alexandria, an early church father, called the Gospel of John a spiritual gospel. And by that, he did not mean that John doesn't care about the historical facts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Rather, he means that the life and ministry of Jesus is laden with significance, that it's full of significance. That the, the, the events, we're going to see this as we study the Gospel of John together, that the life and ministry of Jesus uh, reveals to us something of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Just to whet your appetite, one example, the very first sign, the very first miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John, the wedding at Cana, when Jesus turns water into wine, is meant to show us that the true bridegroom has come for his bride. We'll see more of that as we continue on, Lord willing, in our study. Another reason I'm excited to study the Gospel of John is because it's a a profoundly theological book. Uh, um, in, In terms of the Greek language itself, The Gospel of John is one of the easiest New Testament documents to pick up and read. You could could study Greek for a few weeks or a few months and be able to translate many of the verses in the Gospel of John. And yet, at the same time, despite the simplicity of language, it is incredibly profound. In the opening prologue, these first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, John tells us that Jesus is God. And that through him all things were made. That he is life and light. That he alone gives the right to others to be called the children of God. That he is uniquely the son of God. Begotten of the father before all worlds. That he reveals the father. (laughs) John tells us all of those things just in the first 18 verses. Things that we would need a lifetime just to begin to try 
to understand. And so this is a thrilling book. It's a thrilling book about uh, the one around whom creation, all of history, and our own lives revolve. And so I hope that as we study this gospel together that we will come to see more of the glory of Christ and come to trust him more, come to love him more, come to obey his commandments more as we learn to abide in him through this book. And with that being said, let's go ahead and read uh, the first 14 verses of John chapter 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Glory. Glory is something that we all long to see. There is this infinite desire in human beings to look on glory, isn't there? It's one of the reasons that we travel to scenic overlooks or hundreds of miles to get uh, a glimpse of the Grand Canyon. It's one of the reasons why we may travel thousands of miles to look up at a ceiling, the Sistine Chapel, It's the reason the Hubble telescope exists, to peer into outer space and to see glory, glory. But everything that we see in this world comes up short and ultimately leaves us unsatisfied. And that's true for at least two reasons. One, because it doesn't last. And two, because the things we see never prove to be ultimately satisfying. No matter how much we see, it's never enough. 
In the words of the preacher of Ecclesiastes, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. Because the sight of created things, no matter how glorious, cannot satisfy the human desire to behold glory. But in the Gospel of John, we discover the vision of glory that truly satisfies. And John is someone who caught a glimpse of that glory. He says in verse 14, We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he wrote this gospel so that we too might come and see. John invites us to see him, to behold him, to look upon him with the eyes of faith. To see him through John's eyewitness apostolic testimony. This is what the gospel is all about. And it's what we are after this Christmas season. Beholding the glory of the word made flesh. Now, before we begin to work through the Gospel of John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, today I want to do something slightly different from our ordinary pattern. I want to begin, actually, I want to begin today where John ends. I want to trace a theme that runs throughout John's Gospel all the way to his purpose statement near the end, so we can see where John is leading us. And so there are two things I want to hone in on this morning. One is found here in John's opening prologue, and the other is his purpose statement in John chapter 20. So two, two basic points we want to reflect on this morning. First, John's claim, we have seen his glory And I want to connect that to his purpose statement at the end that you may believe and have life in his name. That is really John's gospel in a nutshell. If you wanted to try to summarize it in a a sentence, we have seen that you may believe. So let's begin with this vision of glory and appreciate the fact that at the heart of of John's gospel is this fundamental, basic claim of eyewitness experience. John claims to be an eyewitness of the things he writes down. Now, he says this even more emphatically in his first letter, in his first epistle. You remember how he begins. Listen listen to these words. This is from 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And it's interesting that a lot of modern liberal scholarship on the Gospel of John 
puts John's gospel in the genre of myth. And C.S. Lewis responded to that in his own day by saying, I wonder if any of these critics have ever actually read a myth, because this ain't it. (laughs) That's what C.S. Lewis said as someone who had read, made a living out of reading myths. He understood that John is claiming to write something very, very different. And he makes the same claim in the opening words of the gospel as well when he says, we have seen his glory. John, well, even what he's hinting at there is that he even caught a glimpse of Jesus transfigured in his glory. One of the other things we need to appreciate as we begin our study of the gospel of John is that according to Jesus, the, the, the New Testament as a whole, but John's gospel in particular, is, is ultimately given to us by Jesus himself through his apostles. That's what uh, Jesus told his apostles in the upper room. He, he promised to send his spirit to them after his departure and said that when the, when the Spirit came, the Spirit would glorify Jesus by showing him to them. And in John 14, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do this by reminding the apostles of the things that Jesus had taught them. By, by, by leading them into all the truth that there is about Jesus and by showing them the things that were yet to come. And so we need, to, we need to understand that John writes as one of these apostles. And he writes as someone who had seen the word of God in the flesh. Right? The, the word who was in the beginning through whom everything was made that was made. The word who was, who was God, who was with God. John saw him with his own eyes. He looked into the face of Jesus. He could tell you what color eyes Jesus has. We we don't know that. John does. He, He heard the voice of Jesus through real human vocal cords. And he speaks as the beloved disciple who actually leaned on Jesus' side. That's how close this gospel brings us to Jesus. Our world, it is, it is full of, of fake news. But John's gospel is not only good news, it is eyewitness news. It's eyewitness testimony. But what's really striking as, as we think about that, okay, eyewitness testimony, what's really striking is as readers of the gospel of John, we are invited over and over and over again to come and see Jesus for ourselves. I wonder if you've ever noticed this about the Gospel of John. It is peppered with invitations and calls to come and look, to come and see, to behold. And that's what I want us to hear this morning, loud and clear. I think a case could be made that the entire gospel of John is one extended invitation 
to truly see Jesus through John's apostolic eyewitness testimony. And so this morning, I I want to take us on a very brief tour of this theme of seeing Jesus through John's eyewitness account. We're going to go through some of these seeing statements to see where John is leading us. It's not long after John says we have seen his glory that we then hear the voice of John the Baptist looking on Jesus and say, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a call, it's a command to look, to come and see. And, and uh, <clears throat> then when Jesus calls his first disciples, we, we hear this invitation Explicitly, come and see in John chapter 1, verse 46. Nathaniel asks Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. And we need, to, we need to appreciate that John is not merely recounting a conversation to us. That's not how his gospel works. <laughs> the invitation to come and see is also directed at us. Come and see Jesus. Incidentally, I I think, and I've been more and more convinced of this as I've had the chance to study the Gospel of John in preparation, that there's a lot we can learn about evangelism in the Gospel of John. And here I think is a very helpful way of reframing how we might think about evangelism if we understood it primarily in terms of inviting our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones to come and see Jesus. Open invitation. Come and look at him. And we need, we, we, we need to, to see as well in this conversation with Nathaniel. You know, Nathaniel goes and, and he's amazed at his uh, initial encounter with Jesus. And Jesus responds to Nathaniel's astonishment with, you know, if Jesus came from these parts, he might say, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this, again, it's not just an invitation to Nathaniel to keep on looking. It is an invitation for us to keep on reading. After his conversation with the the woman of Samaria that Jesus encountered at the well in John chapter 4, she responds by going back to town. And you remember what she said. Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That is one of the essential questions that the Gospel of John wants To answer in the affirmative, come and see this man. Come and see the Messiah. I have met him. And this is how people respond again and again to Jesus throughout John's gospel. They see something. They come to truly see Jesus. And their response to that is they want others to come and see him too. If you've really seen Jesus, this is is what happens. When your eyes are opened to his glory, you want others to come and see him as well. 
in John chapter 9, really important passage for this theme of seeing in the Gospel of John, we have the story of the man born blind. And after his encounter with Jesus, the man born blind did, did what Jesus told him to do. It's really, it's really significant. It's, a, it's an important lesson for us. He did what Jesus told him to do. And then we read, he came back seeing. John loves double meanings. Double entendres, they're called. Double meanings. And this is a prime example. In John 9, 25, the man says, I was blind, now I see. And, and after performing this miracle of restoring the man's vision, Jesus asked this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered him, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he responded and said, Lord, I believe. And he began worshiping Jesus. See what's going on in that story? This man sees for the very first time twice over. Right? He, he's not only healed physically, he also has his eyes open to see that Jesus is the Son of Man. That great messianic figure in Daniel chapter 7 who, who goes before the throne of God to receive an eternal kingdom. And so this man believes in him and worships him. And we're, we're meant to understand from this narrative that this is what it means. This is what it means to truly see Jesus. To catch a glimpse of him. In the story, there are others who see Jesus with their eyes, right? They see Jesus ocularly, but they don't really see him at all. They see him, but they're blind. But here, here this man who was once blind now sees, and he believes in the Son of Man and worships him. He truly sees for the very first time, because in the Gospel of John, faith is a kind of seeing. Faith affords a certain kind of sight. And after this encounter with the man born blind, Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Did you catch that? Did you catch what Jesus said? Why did Jesus come into the world? In order that those who do not see may come to see, just like that man born blind, and that those, there's a sting in the tail, that those who see may become blind. And so there's this warning here in this story that there is a superficial kind of sight. There, are people, there were people in Jesus' day who thought they saw clearly. They looked upon Jesus. They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus do great and mighty things. But they really didn't see him. They didn't really see who he was. <coughs> and they, because they haven't bowed down and worshipped him 
as the son of the living God. This theme of seeing the glory of Jesus continues. Continues in the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You remember what Jesus said to to Martha? He, He said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? It's fascinating. The only way to see the glory of God is if you believe. Because true sight comes by faith. It's interesting just to think about that story of what took place at the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus had the stone rolled away and said, Lazarus, come out, and a dead man came out alive. And those who had eyes to see beheld the glory of God while others stood there and saw the same thing but were blind to the glory, the power of God being revealed in that situation. Now, if we go on in John 14, one of the disciples, Philip, says, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Remember, remember where I started this message by talking about the desire to behold glory. What, what will satisfy that longing in our souls? Philip wants to see God. right? He wants to behold glory. But all the while he has failed to see the glory right in front of him. And so Jesus, Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you so long and still you don't, you don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. That's what Jesus is saying to Philip. And this is exactly what Jesus ultimately desires for all of us as his people. It's the thing that he prays for. At the very climax of his high priestly prayer, listen to what Jesus asks asks for in John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Did you hear that? Jesus prays to his heavenly father that we would behold glory by seeing him face to face. That we would see Jesus in his glory is Jesus' great desire. I wonder if you see what Jesus is doing there. He is, he is placing himself at the very center of what Christians throughout history have called the beatific vision, that happy vision of God. And then Jesus' prayer will be answered, won't it? And Moses' prayer request, to be, his request to behold glory, will be answered, not just for him, but for all of God's people as we look upon the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But continuing on in John's gospel, just before his crucifixion, Pontius Pilate declares, Behold 
the man. Behold the man. And there Pilate, of course, is speaking better than he knows. There are actually three great behold statements in the Gospel of John. I've already mentioned the one with John the Baptist in the beginning. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the other two come out of Pilate's mouth. Where surrounding the time of Jesus' suffering and crucifixion, Pilate says, Behold the man and behold your king. You have to love the irony of John's Gospel Pilate has no idea how right he is. But as readers, John is inviting us to behold the glory of Jesus. When Pilate says, behold the man, we are being being invited to look upon the one true man. The last Adam. The second Adam who crushes the serpent's head even as he is bruised. And when Pilate says, behold your king, what do we see? What do we see? We see a suffering servant who lays down his life, who rules by dying and rising. And after that, Jesus is lifted up on the cross in John's gospel. And, you know, John's gospel is full of Old Testament allusions, but it's not very often that he directly quotes from the Old Testament. But here he does it. And he quotes from Zechariah 12, verse 10, where it says, they will, look, they will look on him whom they have pierced. You see what, see what John is doing? John is making us spectators of the king of glory who was crucified for our transgressions. And this brings us to the second thing uh, this morning that we will cover much more briefly. Connecting these two things. We have seen, to John's purpose statement, that you may believe. Now, the crucifixion and burial of Jesus is not the end of the story. Because Jesus was seen again. (laughs) Uh, In John 20, verse 18, Mary Magdalene goes and announces... To the disciples, I have seen the Lord. But you remember Thomas, Thomas couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. And so he says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. In other words, Thomas has to see it to believe it. He has to see it with his own eyes. And eight days later, Jesus appears to the disciples. And in John 20, verse 27, he turns to Thomas and says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. But believe. Believe. You remember overwhelmed by what he has just seen Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God. And this is where John has been taking us all along. This is the climatic moment. Jesus then responds by saying, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those 
who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not laid eyes on me and yet have put their trust in me. Guess what? Jesus is talking about us, isn't he? Right? That's the situation that, that we find ourselves in. We, we receive the blessing if we believe in Jesus through the eyewitness testimony of the beloved disciple. See, it's all, it's all taking us here. It's all going here. Blessed are you if you have not seen him with your own eyes and yet have believed. Even though you haven't looked upon him or touched him with your hands, Blessed are you if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because you have life in his name. You see, this blessing, it's for us. This blessing is for you and for me. It's why John wrote to bring us to share in the blessing of life in the Son, who is life itself. And so as we begin this study in John's gospel today, I very, very simply want to encourage you, boys and girls, men and women, young and old alike, I want to encourage all of us to embrace this blessing of life that is received by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He came in our flesh, died, got up again, and lives forevermore that we might have life in his name and be forever satisfied by the vision of his glory. It is really significant that John then gives us his purpose statement for this entire gospel immediately after Thomas's confession and Jesus's pronouncement of blessing. Did you notice that? The very next verse after Jesus's blessing, we have John's purpose statement for the entire gospel. And so if you look at John 20 verses 30 and 31, you'll see now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Embrace the blessing by believing in Jesus. And then I want to I add one other point of application to this today. Embrace the blessing by believing in Jesus and then be transformed by it. If you really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you will inevitably be changed. The very same John who wrote this gospel says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, and this is really the application of the whole gospel of John. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Remember we read earlier, it gives us the right to become children of God. Right? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 
And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. <clears throat> did, you catch, did you catch how that works? Did you follow the, the logic of the Apostle John? Everyone who believes in the Son has life in the Son. And everyone who hopes to see the Son looks forward to seeing him because we know that on the, the day of his appearing, we will see him and be like him. And in the meantime, everyone who hopes in his appearing purifies themselves as he is pure. See, the hope is a transformative hope. It's a hope that affects the way you live right now. And so let me ask you do, you, do you have this purifying hope? And, and is it changing you? And there is this deep desire in the human heart to look upon glory, to behold glory. And, and we will inevitably try to satisfy that desire one way or another. Our eyes long to behold something that, that will truly satisfy. So is your life being shaped by this singular desire to behold Jesus in his glory? I have run out of time, but I would love to look at the beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Because that's what that beatitude is all about. It's not about are you sinless? Are you perfect? Are you pure? But is your life directed by this one singular desire to look upon the Lord? See, our problem in sin is that we look elsewhere when only infinite glory will satisfy. I mean, after all, this, this ache in our hearts that we have to look on glory is given to us by God himself. Because we were made to see and adore the true beauty and glory and splendor of God's Son. Only Jesus, whose face John describes in the book of Revelation as shining like the sun in its full strength, can satisfy. That, brothers and sisters, is what we need to see. And that's why we're being invited again and again throughout John's gospel to come and look at Jesus. Behold the man. Behold the lamb. Behold your king. Look at him now through the eyes of faith and purify yourself as he is pure, knowing that one day you will look upon your redeemer with your very own eyes. And on that day you will be like him. And so as we begin John's gospel, I, I want you to know that the purpose of this gospel is to give you something. Better yet, to give you someone. We have, we have seen his glory that you may believe and have life in his name. That's what it's all about. Life. Eternal life, abundant life, fullness of life in the Son. We know the verse so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his, his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believing is all about receiving. The good news about Jesus 
Let's make sure we do not make this mistake in our own lives. The good news about Jesus is not good advice. Okay? Here's the reality. God doesn't need me. And he doesn't need you. But he is pleased. He delights to give everything to us in his son. Think about it. The creator of all things has come, as we, as we sang earlier, in person. He's come in the flesh. The word became flesh and went to the cross so that by believing in his name, we might have life. Because he is your life. Does that sound familiar? It's the message we heard again and again throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And it's the message we're going to hear again and again throughout the gospel of John. God is life. He is maximally alive. God is life itself. He has life in and of himself. He depends upon nothing for his existence. And as the one who is life, God is also the life giver. And so if we are separated from this God who created us, it's no wonder that we perish in our sins. But you see the son, the son, the eternal son in the fullness of time has come from the Father's side in the flesh to bring life to us by restoring our relationship to God so that we can enjoy life to the full. And we receive this life the moment we believe in Jesus as the Son of God who laid down his life and took it up again because he has the authority to do that. And so one more time, again, if you haven't yet, embrace this blessing by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if you have, know that you will see Jesus in his glory and be forever satisfied. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for the word made flesh. And we thank you for this eyewitness account of John's testimony. As we begin uh, this series together, we pray that you would give us uh, the eyes of faith to see uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God. To see Jesus, the true man. To see him as our crucified and risen King. And I pray that each and every one of us, as we study the gospel of John together would know and receive this blessing for ourselves and have life in the Son of God. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things. Amen.